Good morning, Redemption. My name is Jake, and I'm one of your pastors, and it's good to be with you all this morning. We're going to continue our sermon series in Romans 8, Life of the Spirit. So if you got a Bible, open it up to Romans 8, verse 18 is where we're going to be starting off. And, uh, or if you got an app, go ahead and open it up to there. And let's start our time off with praying. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would give us the gift of the Holy Spirit opening our eyes to your son's presence with us through the scriptures. And so I just ask that you would give me the gift of preaching for the sake of bringing encouragement to your people, those who need encouragement, conviction to those whom your Holy Spirit wants to convict, life, and in the end, that you would make the image of your son more real in us and through us today. Amen. All right, so medical pop quiz for everybody to start off. What is the difference between the pain of childbearing and the pain of a kidney stone? <laughs> some of you are like, I don't know what it is. And some of you are like, I'm not answering that. Like, um, so, you know, both are, have been described as like some of the most agonizing pain that a human being can experience. And there's like disagreements, even some women reporting that who have had a kidney stone reporting that that's more painful than even childbearing. Um, but at the end of the day, what like separates, you know, the two, like what, what, what's the thing that makes the difference between passing a kidney stone and giving birth to a child? (laughs) Okay. Someone says you got a baby at the end. Um, I mean, the difference between the two people, right, who have experienced the pain of both is the stories that you're going to tell afterwards and that it would be very odd if Sunday morning through these doors as you come into church, you meet someone who's wheeling in a stroller and they pull back the blanket (laughs) and they introduce you to their new kidney stone. Um, you would think they're crazy, right? And nor does anybody really telling stories about their kidney stone. They go, oh my gosh, they're just like their father. They look just like them. Or go on to talk about how excited the future plans they have for their kidney stone, right? So the difference between the kidney stone and childbirth is at the end of the day, the story that it fits itself into. Both are extreme pain, but both have very different stories as someone pointed out rightly. At the end of the day, one has a baby, right? And so you have two different types of agonizing pain, but very different depending on the context that the pain fits in. So if I were to tell you, we've been going through this series of life in the spirit, right? If I were to tell you that life in the spirit is marked by forgiveness, you'd be like, yeah. Life in the spirit is marked by adoption, sonship of God. It's marked by righteousness, peace. You could even name off some of the fruits of the Spirit if you've heard those in church before. But if I told you life in the Spirit is marked by suffering, how does that hit you? Because Paul in Romans 8, 17 says, if we're children, right? If we're children of God, if children in verse 17 then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And what's that next verse say? Provided we suffer with him. 
And then he goes on to say in verse 18, I consider that sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. This has got to be one of the most unique things I've ever discovered about Christianity is the theology of suffering. And what the Christian has to say, what the Bible has to say, stories that suffering needs to fit into. And Paul has told the Roman church earlier on in Romans that we are to rejoice in our sufferings, which anybody who is experiencing suffering, um, I mean, maybe, there's probably plenty of people more mature than me, but when I go through suffering, I'm not like, yes, I am rejoicing in this suffering. Uh, It takes a lot of God shaping and changing me before I could have that perspective. But he has told the Roman church that we are to rejoice in our suffering and that suffering is literally a part of being in Christ. So much so that what comes in the future will make suffering not even worth comparing. What's the story that Paul is gonna tell that is gonna make your suffering worth it? How are we gonna make suffering in our lives go from kidney stone to childbirth? Because at the end of the day, we want something to show for it. The first story, the first context that we need to hear to place our suffering inside of is the story of creation. So in Romans 8, 20, it says, the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from bondage. So creation is subjected to futility and bondage. Now, the story that Paul is referring to is a very common Jewish story, and his old audience would have known. It's a story of creation followed by the tragedy of fall. And maybe you've been around church just a little bit and maybe you would have, you've heard that story, right? The beautiful story of God creating the earth in seven days and there's nothing but goodness in the world and then it's very quickly followed by Adam and Eve's sin and the curse. We might know that story, but what Paul is doing in this moment is very different. He is actually giving us that story, not from your perspective as a human being, but from the perspective of creation. Like what, is it, what has it been like for creation to go through the story of the fall. Because if you imagine, right, like God, God's creating the ocean and then the ocean is then watching the land come out of nowhere and then trees pop up and I'm sure the ocean's talking to the trees like, can you believe this? God is making us and everything is good. This is so cool. And then out of, all out of nowhere, there are animals popping up all over the place, enjoying the beautiful world that God makes that he says, there's, no, there's nothing bad in it. It's just nothing but good. And then, I mean, I, I bet creation was like so excited to see what would come next when God rolled up his sleeves and he's like, now we're gonna make something in our image. I imagine all of creation was so ready to have a partner to bring about beauty and life, creativity. And, you know, imagine the first animal to come up to Adam and get a name. It's probably pretty cool. And yet creation, I wonder what it would have been like for the trees that were in the garden, what they would have felt as they watched Eve reach up and take that fruit. 
Because when God tells Adam and Eve that now the ground will be cursed because of sin in the world, it's not just a curse on Adam and Eve and all of humanity afterwards. It's a curse on the very fabric of our created world itself. And this is a a fact that becomes very easy to forget because we have grown up in a world filled with brokenness. And so apart from this story, you would not assume that our world was meant for nothing but good. That is the context that Paul demands that the Roman church and us today fit all human and suffering within the world into. The story of creation. But creation is not, you know, creation itself is not just passing through this pain as if it's meaningless. Creation, he says, is like a woman groaning in the pains of childbearing. Creation itself is holding on to a promise and has been for all eternity. God said to Eve, I'm going to give you someday a child that will crush the serpent, the very thing that brought brokenness into our world. That was a promise for humanity. It was promised though also for creation. Because so long as creation is tied to human beings meant to rule over them in a beautiful way, but we're all entangled in sin, Instead of there being a co-labor and beauty to our world, it is destruction. I, I wonder what creation feels like every time human beings mine out precious metals to then craft and melt into guns that we then use to kill one another. Creation itself is like a woman in the agony of childbearing. But it's moving forward towards something. Because what creation longs for is this vision of new creation, a new heavens and a new earth, a world that is filled with beauty and life and goodness. And so creation is waiting for, Paul says, the revelation of the sons of God. Nothing short than a new world. Now, you might be wondering, why do we need to see it from this perspective at all? I mean, it's very ecologically forward of the Bible, Jake. I love that it's got this picture of creation, but why do we need to hear it from this perspective at all? Because the story that you fit your suffering into will be determined how you respond to suffering. And in our context, where out of probably no other time in history, we elevate the individual above everything else, The story that you fit suffering into predominantly, even just as a gut flinch, is your story, personally. So there's a hyper-individualism that goes on within our culture so that every time that we suffer, we begin to wonder, how do I make sense of this within my story? And the first time that I got this lesson was in the last couple of years when my son was born early and I had gone through a long season of suffering and and I picked up a book called Walking Through uh, Pain with God by Tim Keller, who actually just passed away this last weekend. And, and when I opened up this book, because I trusted him, I was like, he's probably got something good to say about suffering. I read through the first page, and on the first page, this was his introduction. He goes, by the time you get done reading this for an hour, here's how many hundreds of children will die at the hands of abuse. He said, if you spend a couple hours going through this book, here's how many more will die. 
And you guys have that gut flinch, like when you hear that, right? Like that's not right. I actually did not have that gut flinch at first. I read it and I very quickly was trying to skim through and I realized very quickly that what I was looking for was an answer to my suffering. I did not care why there was suffering in the world so much as why there was suffering in my life. If you do not fit suffering into the context of the biblical story, things get really twisted. Because then you have to answer for the presence of suffering within your life in what other fashion our culture tells us. So predominantly within our culture, the only answers that we have for suffering are avoided at all costs, numb it, or despair. Because within our culture that collapses all of life into the present moment, there's no vision of a baby. And so suffering can only be an interruption on your best life now. And that's why we need the story of creation to interpret our suffering. For the Christian to understand how suffering fits into their life, we need to hear this voice. And this is a very different picture of uh, our world than I grew, grew up with right? I, I had a very different vision. In fact, one of the people I grew up with once told me uh, that the earth is like a car. It gets you from point A to point B, point B being heaven. Doesn't really matter what the interiors look like, which really will shape a lot of how you think about the world and your experience within it. But what if instead of the earth being like a car, the earth was like a home that was invaded and broken into and vandalized. But the beauty of the gospel is that God, the almighty judge, has captured the invader, arrested them, and then demanded that at their cost, the home would be renovated even more beautiful than it ever was before. If you think about it that way, then maybe even as you walk through your home, that has been vandalized and you see your kitchen is in disarray and wrecked, it hurts, right? But you are imagining what it's gonna be like when you renovate that kitchen at the cost of the enemy. If you have this picture of suffering to fit not just your suffering into, right? But all of our, as the family of God's suffering, then suffering is like the labor pains of a woman. The emphasis is not that moment of pain. It's on the baby that comes. That is what creation groans forward to. And we need to hear that voice because without creation's story telling us how to understand suffering, suffering is gonna be a roadblock. As a Christian, Paul, you know, Paul and other places of scripture make it very clear, you will suffer. It's not a question. The question is, what will you do when suffering comes? Will you shrink back from living in light of the kingdom? Will you despair? Or do you find ways to check out? Do you find ways to numb? We need the story of creation, but we need even more too to understand how we fit into that story, which is what the next part goes on to say at verse 23. It says, not only the creation, but we ourselves 
who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. As Romans says, we are like pregnant women too. We are in pain, in agony. We share with creation's groanings. If creation is like that woman bent over on the yoga ball, just trying to relieve the pain, waiting for the next contraction, knowing that the baby's gonna come, we are like that too. Our suffering has meaning, has purpose, but it hurts. Nobody says it doesn't hurt. Nobody says even that you have to like it but you have to fit it into the context of what comes next to understand our suffering. And you might say, now, Jake, suffering is just a normal part of human life. So how are you to say that that's anything different from the perspective of the Christian? The difference is what we make of and the end story of our suffering. It makes a big difference, as Paul is pointing out, that compared to the rest of the world's suffering, our suffering is going somewhere. The story, the answer the Bible has for suffering, especially from the Christian perspective, is that suffering will one day be redeemed. And that is unique to the Christian experience. We are like the pregnant woman. What makes that kind of hard, right? If you look at this passage in this perspective, it says we're waiting for what? The adoption as sons. Are we not already adopted in Christ? Yes. And yet we wait for the fullness of our adoption. Tell me this. Is a uh, pregnant woman a mother on Mother's Day if she's pregnant? Now, if you are a foolish young dad for the first time like me and your wife is pregnant on Mother's Day, but you conclude that she technically is not given birth, therefore she is not a mother, uh, then hear my advice (laughs) and my public apology to my wife. Um, She's a mom. (laughs) She's a pregnant mom. Mom, and if you miss that one, then you're going to be spending the next couple of years trying to really up your game on Mother's Day because you missed to make the connection that a woman is a mother in her pregnancy already. That is what we are like as Christians. We already are sons, but we're waiting for the fullness of what God has promised. Now, just as a side note, because I feel like God spoke this to me earlier today. If you are a woman within this room and you have experienced the pain of not being able to have the baby at the end of the story, that I just feel led to say to you, you are a mother if only you get to experience the pain of it now. But you, like all of us who are in Christ, we're waiting for what good is to come. And it's hard. It hurts. And that is why Paul goes on to say very obviously, in this hope we're saved, hope that is seen is not hope. And you might go, well, duh. 
Like hope that is not seen is not hope, but we need to actually hear that. We need to hear that our comfort, our joy, our hope, our peace is the future, not the present. Especially in one of the most comfortable societies in all of human history. Because if you believe some of the lies within our culture and how they try to narrate the world and our, their visions for suffering, then you will collapse everything onto this present moment. And when suffering comes, it will break you. But if it is, as Paul says, like the groanings of a, present, of a pregnant mother, then you're waiting for what comes next. And then suffering can not only give birth to something, but suffering can have a lot of effective power in the moment. You know what labor pains do for a woman? They tell her when to push. In the same way, every time we experience suffering as a Christian, it reminds us, I'm not there yet. I'm waiting for Jesus' return. It reminds us every time we walk along with a brother and sister who is suffering, as we share their pain and their suffering, that what we wait for in glory is not yet here. It also is a reminder that you belong to the children of God. Now, in the Christian life, there's kind of two ways that you're gonna suffer. There is the, what I put in my notes, the adoption pains, suffering. These are the pains of being brought out of the kingdom of darkness into the family, the new family of the kingdom of God. Meaning that every time from this point on, you try to live into the kingdom of God by the kingdom of God's ethic and standard and life, and you feel the pushback of our world, that is a labor pain. Those are the pains that Jesus experienced every time he preached the good news about the kingdom and he received ridicule and mocking and pushback and eventually violence and death. That is the suffering that ties us into the family of God. It makes us like Jesus. So there's the adoption pains, but there's also the fruit, first fruit pains, right? It says that we have the spirit, which is the first fruits, of what we wait for. So in a sense, you know, if you look at a tree and it's filled with fruit and the fruit's not ripe, but then one of the apples turns ripe, just enough for you to eat. You can pick it off the tree and eat it. Oh my gosh, it's delicious. But then you have the frustrating pain of looking at the rest of the tree and it's not ripe. So you know what it tastes like, but you don't get to enjoy the entire harvest. This is the pain of being a Christian where we do not have our resurrected bodies. And so on one day, you are so connected to Jesus as you worship, as you live in prayer, that it feels like nothing could ever take you away from the moment of bliss and connection to Christ and peace. And then the next week you have a panic attack and you're like, when am I gonna get there? That is a first fruit pain. When you know that you should live out in patience with your child or with your roommates or with your friends and how you speak to them, and there's everything in your body that knows you should be trying to be patient and speak with love, but then there's a tug that doesn't really make you want to be patient at all, that is a first fruits kind of pain. We are waiting for the redemption that is the resurrected body that comes. We are waiting 
for our new creation and us to be able to rule with Christ in resurrected bodies. Until then, it's like labor pain, filled with suffering. But what that groaning means is, again, that you belong to this family. Now, something that I do just want to say for those in the room who are not a Christian, you would say by your own confession and words, look, I just, somebody just dragged me here. This is like, you know, thankful to be here, but I am not a follower of Jesus. I, I just want as gently as I can say, like for you to hear me here in this, you do not have an answer for pain. Not other than numbing it, escaping it, doing everything you can to avoid it. And my plea is that in hearing this, or even, I, you know what, I, I actually pray that you'd be able to watch a Christian suffer well. And never all the Christians in the room are like, don't pray that on me, Jake. <laughs> but my, I genuinely do. I, I pray that you would be able to witness this so that this might be a witness for the truth of the gospel. It's one of the most unique things about our faith is that suffering is redeemed not numbed, not avoided. It's not something that we then look at as a verdict on our lives. Like maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe God's mad at me, right? How many of us have thought that was suffering? That is not what it is. It is something that one day will be redeemed, but right now it's a labor pain. And you know what I know about labor pains? As a man who has never gone through labor, they hurt. I know from my witnessing of it. And so we need that vision, but there, there's, another, there's another part to the story that we need to hear, another context that we need to fit story into, suffering into, if we are to understand it and respond to it well, and that is the story of the Spirit of God. Here's what's so cool about this passage. In verse 26, it says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So so the creation suffers and does what? Groans, like a woman in labor. And we who suffer in Christ, we do what? We groan in the labor pains. So when, when that is all going on, what is the spirit doing? Groaning. Suffering hurts. You know what hurts worse? Suffering alone. If you are in Christ, you never will suffer alone because the spirit is groaning just like us and creation like a mother. The spirit of the living God is present with every single one of you who are in Christ Jesus. And when he is with you, he is walking through the suffering and pain with you. When you hurt, the spirit hurts. You are not alone in your suffering in Christ. 
Jesus promised this. And I put the, uh, the John 14 passage up there for me. Jesus said when he was leaving his disciples because they were so panicked, like, oh my gosh, you're gonna leave Jesus. What are we gonna do without you? Jesus responded to them and he said, I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be with you. Keep that there. What does Jesus say? I will not leave you as orphans. Jesus promised his people that he will never leave them which is a very contrast if you believe or think that Jesus, though he suffered and died, just zapped back up to heaven and was like, best of luck with the suffering in this world. (laughs) Which we laugh, but a lot of us functionally live that way. As if we are alone. As if the agony that you experience is yours to bear on your own. But we know that the Spirit who lives in us, is groaning with us. What's so beautiful about the groaning of the Holy Spirit is that it is translated to God the Father as prayer. Because when you suffer, here's your weakness. You don't know how to pray. And it's not a shameful weakness. It's something that God the Father knows. You don't know how to pray. Because when suffering starts to kick up a notch, whatever version of suffering it is, right? Whether it's the most extreme ones that we can connect our minds to, like martyrs in the day, or if it's just the agony of like, gosh, I'm trying to obey Jesus and it hurts. Whatever the suffering is, whenever that is happening, the spirit is interceding and praying for you. Because when you suffer, pretty much the only thing often that we go to pray for, make the suffering stop. And there's nothing, don't hear me, there's nothing wrong to pray that. But what is the Holy Spirit's job as he lives in you? One thing that he really wants to do in you, make you like Jesus. And we go, yes, make me like Jesus in his resurrected glory. Very few times do we pray, make me like Jesus in his suffering and dying. This is something that is so above our ability that you won't pray for it, so the Spirit prays for you. And that is a good thing to know. Because I don't know about you, but I do not genuinely pray those things always as my first flinch. It's only until way after fact that I'm like, thank God that you prayed this for me when I didn't know how to pray. One of the ways that I, I can think about it, I didn't show this in the first service, but um, when my son was in the hospital, I had this experience where I sat down at my house and I prayed, God, I just wanna hear your voice, speak to me however you want. And I sat there quietly for a little bit and I had this flash of images of my childhood with my dad and, and, and what I experienced of fatherhood and all of its you know, good parts, but a lot of broken parts. And I felt like God say to me, I will now show you what it's like for me to be a father. And I was like, 
Yes! So excited. Jumped in the car and I was like, I'm gonna go visit my son in the hospital, drive over there, because he was a preemie baby, so he's there for a little bit. So I drive over to the hospital and I get there, and when I get there, I change his diaper and I'm like on cloud nine with the spirit. I'm like, yeah, like God is winning. And then my son's lungs collapse and they have to re-bring him back and get him stabilized. And I left the room and I was like, God, I got some words to say. And I have never cursed more in prayer than in that day. And I was like, why did you even bring that to my mind in prayer? Like, just, just tell me I'm gonna suffer, you know? Why even make me believe that? And the next couple of weeks, I had these moments where I'd hold my son on my chest and I would cry over him. And I felt like God told me in that moment, I am teaching you what it's like to be a father in suffering. Promise you, never would have prayed for that. The spirit is with you. You will never be alone in your suffering. And I promise you that we don't have it yet. That suffering will give birth to a baby and that baby is a new creation and a resurrected body. So for those of us who are experiencing the physical pain of our bodies that are just literally one step closer to death every day, the future of glory is a resurrected body that Jesus is the first fruit of. That, that's our hope. So what might this look like for us today? I wonder what it would look like if we just as a people, Redemption Tempe, I wonder what it would look like if every time we suffer, it would not be like a verdict on our lives of like something's wrong or God's mad at me or something to be shameful or I don't want to be a bother, but instead we shared it with the whole community. And we're like, this is our chance. I wonder what it would be like if this room was filled with people, and I know some of us are already doing this now, where every time you get a hint of someone else's suffering, you run towards it. And you share it. And you just like, you know, in Tempe, if we just like, what if like the city of Tempe knew, like, we don't know what they believe, but man, if you go there and you are hurting, they're gonna hurt with you. Like what that would do. And so I wanna, you know, we're gonna shift into our time where we are gonna respond to Jesus through communion and through singing and through prayer. And I want to leave you all with an an image, uh, specifically of communion that I love. Uh, Jesus says, you know, as they were eating, this is in Matthew, and you can just listen. I'm not gonna put this on the screen. As they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, he broke it and he gave it to the disciples and said, take and eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given Uh, thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. Here's the part I feel like I want you to hear. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in the Father's kingdom. Jesus is waiting. He's fasting. And in this present age, though we suffer, 
we suffer as a way that we are unified with Jesus. We are becoming like him in his suffering, only on its way to glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would take that bit of word and deposit and that you would supernaturally water and grow it in everybody's heart, whatever you want to make and grow. That the parts of the word that need to be heard, that they would sink deeply into the hearts of our people and the rest of it would just be forgotten easily. For those who are in a season of intense suffering, may they be encouraged that what they're experiencing is labor pain. For those that the idea of suffering feels scary and frightening, may they be encouraged and emboldened to step into it, that they might tacitly know what it's like to be you in a small way, Jesus. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.